May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. As I said at the beginning of the service today, we're celebrating St. Francis of Assisi. Uh, and his day also marks the end of the international and ecumenical season of creation. At the heart of every season of creation is God's deep desire that all creation might thrive and that we might be the instruments of this thriving. For this to happen, we need to start with an appreciation that all life is interconnected. The saying goes that no man is an island, while neither is any community, country, or indeed humanity as a whole. We are not an island. We are interconnected with each other, whether we like it or not. We are interconnected with all of creation, even when we pretend that we're not. We are part of and enmeshed in all of creation. The central theme of this year's season of creation reminds us that we are all interconnected. God's home, renewing the oikos of God, a home for all. One of the gifts of St. Francis is that he came to realize that he was part of and enmeshed with all of creation. He encountered God's life-giving and life-changing love through his brothers and sisters in creation. And he understood at a deep level God's profound desire that all creation might thrive. He understood that for that to happen, relationships between people and between people and creation needed to be restored. We might know him as the ecological saint, uh, the saint who spoke to the animals, but uh, more widely, he's known as the man of peace. If you go to Assisi today, there is a huge pack mown into the lawn in front of the Basilica of St. Francis in Assisi. Very important peace conferences are held in Assisi. His legacy was peace. He sought to bring peace between people, between the people of Gubbio, for example, and the wolf that terrorized them. He sought to bring peace between the bishop and the mayor of the city of Assisi. And he sought to bring peace between the Christian crusader, crusader army and the Muslim sultan in Egypt. In each case, he did this by seeking to restore relationships. Francis lived this longing for restoration and for peace because that is what scripture asked of him, particularly the Gospels. His rule of life was, well, to simply live the Gospels. And he was advised by popes and bishops and people much more learned than him that that was far too difficult. But he knew this deep longing that all might thrive is found throughout scripture. It is what the covenants longed for. It is found in the Mosaic law. It's at the heart of the prophets. And it's what Jesus lived and taught and came to complete. That relationships would be healed and all creation would thrive. 
So what do we do with today's gospel reading in light of that, which is a tricky reading? It's a reading that is often used to, well, hold women into marriages that are not life-giving and too often abusive. And it was all done because Jesus said, you can't divorce. Well, the problem, uh, so what do we do with this? Well, one of the problems with reading this passage in that way is that uh, it's very prescriptive. And for a whole chunk of women, a whole chunk of society, it was pretty life denying. And that doesn't fit with anything Jesus does or says anywhere else in the Gospels. Jesus came to free people from what deprived them from life. He came to heal relationships and to allow them and their communities to thrive. And so this kind of legalistic understanding really doesn't sit very well with anything else that Jesus does. So what do we do with it? Well, the story is about some Pharisees who are trying to trap Jesus. They're asking him uh, about his understanding and ability to teach Torah. And they ask him a question about divorce. And when Jesus turns that question back, To them, they quote Deuteronomy 24, which allows divorce if a woman does not please her husband because he finds something objectionable about her. Now, there's quite a bit of conversation about exactly what might objectionable include. It's not overly clear. Conservative Christians would say, well, that's clearly uh, about sexual immorality, that she has done something wrong and so she deserves this. But a lot of other commentators are much less clear about that. They think this was a very permissive piece of uh, mosaic law. Uh, The assumption behind it was that divorce would happen. And in fact, the point of the passage really isn't the divorce in itself, but the rule that the man couldn't remarry the woman if she married again. That was the real point. Uh, Divorce was just a given. The problem with that is that woman were treated as a commodity to be traded and discarded with little regard to them or to the relationships and social networks that they were enmeshed in within the man's wider multi-generational family. I mean, it's interesting that Jesus quotes uh, Genesis 2, which talks about the man leaving his family, but in reality, the, the woman left her family and joined the man's family. So she would go and live with his parents and his brothers and all their wives and all their children. And in that context, she would become the wife of the man and would have been enmeshed in this much greater circle of relationships. And so for a man to simply divorce his wife, and in the Mosaic law, it's only the man that can divorce the wife. It was the Roman world where a woman could divorce her husband. Uh, I mean, that was very disruptive for all of those relationships and devastating for the woman socially and economically. So what's Jesus doing in this? Well, I think that by quoting Genesis 2, he is... He is treating women as equal to men, not 
as commodities lower than men. The two become one, not one more important than the other, but the two equally important. Both are beloved of God. Neither is a commodity. And so I think he's using Genesis 2 to argue that women were to be treated with care and respect and not discarded and divorced at the whim of the husband. This isn't about some kind of legalistic prescription that would trap women into life-denying relationships, but would open the way for life-giving relationships in which they could thrive within the marriage. This is the kind of relationship that all who are involved in that marriage might be able to thrive. Women can't thrive if they are simply seen as a commodity to be discarded. We live in a world of broken relationships. Despite what Jesus taught and did, we struggle to take his words and his actions seriously. We live in a world where too many women and too many treated are treated uh, as something to be used and traded. The trafficking of women and children is rife across our world today. Our relationships with God's creation is broken. We have treated it simply as a commodity to be used and traded, to be burned and polluted and discarded. And the result is massive biodiversity loss and climate change. This is not what God desires for this world or for us. And while we in the wealthy West have created most of this mess and are beginning to suffer the consequences, the cost of climate change is and will mostly fall on developing countries who have produced very little of the carbon emissions or pollution. A recent report from Save the Children makes it clear that the consequences of climate change is and will continue to fall on people living in poverty, especially women and children, which given our gospel reading for today, which was about the importance of women and children, is alarming. This is not what God desires. In the less than a month, at the beginning of November, is the 26th gathering of the UN Conference on Climate Change in Glasgow, COP26. It's been in the news a bit lately. Uh, COP means Conference of the Parties. So that's government, uh, governments, business interests, uh, all sorts of groups will be gathering in Glasgow, thousands of people. It was originally set for last year, but, well, COVID got in the way of that. And this is a conference about how countries will enact the requirements of the Paris Agreement made in 2015. The Paris Agreement sought to limit temperature rise to less than 2 degrees and 1.5 degrees if possible. To be clear, the, the Paris Agreement failed in that, uh, in that goal, uh, and the... Uh, the actions that were tabled at that conference are, are, are not likely to limit temperature rise to less than three degrees, which would be cataclysmic for life on this planet, including ours. The Paris Agreement is in itself a symptom of the broken relationships that we have with each other and this world, and the result is what we're slowly growing into now, climate change and 
biodiversity loss. But there is hope about this conference. Much has changed in the last five years, and climate change has gone from being a fringe issue to a global priority. There is real hope that real progress can be made at this conference. So on the sermon notes that I sent out, I've listed, uh, I can't actually, I think it's from the Guardian. I didn't actually state my source, but um, it might not be. I can't remember where I got this from, but uh, this is. Uh, these are the goals of this conference, and they're important goals. Uh, it needs to be said, as I say, state these goals, that it's already been said that then they will not be achieved. Uh, but that um, the hope is that a lot of progress will be made between what was decided in Paris and this conference. And the Paris Agreement called for a conference after five years uh, to kind of retable a country's commitments. Uh, the idea is floating that these conferences be held every year and that countries can come back uh, and re um, uh, bring new uh, commitments as uh, as they are able to do. So in the last five years, it's, it's hoped that countries uh, will have moved a long way, uh, but there is an acknowledgement that they actually need to move a lot further, including ours. Um, so while some groups are very upset about what our government has, has agreed to, in fact, there are many groups who say we actually need to do more. So what, what are the goals for this conference? The first is to secure a global net zero by mid-century to keep 1.5 degrees within reach. Unless we get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050, uh, we have no hope of keeping the temperature rise to 1.5 degrees, and that will be devastating. And it will affect, uh, well, it will affect the whole planet. It will um, dangerously affect billions of people. And the issue of climate refugees, climate change refugees will become a significant, significant issue for all countries. And so countries uh, are being asked to come forward with ambitious 2030 emission reduction targets and ways of achieving those. And uh, to do that, countries will need to accelerate and phase out coal, which Australia has already said that they're not very happy about, uh, that they need to curtail and uh, stop deforestation and to reverse that, uh, to speed up the switch to electric vehicles and to encourage investment in renewables. That's a really important one. The second one is to adapt and to protect communities and natural habitats, protecting and restoring ecosystems, including wetlands. And so while the initial plan was pretty bold from our country, they're already uh, back, backtracking from protecting wetlands. And, and we need wetlands. And I know that this is hard for many people to understand, but they are not simply farmland that we can drain. We need wetlands because that protects us from flooding and it's also where a lot of life uh, is born and, and begins. And if you destroy the wetlands, then that puts at risk a lot of the, of the, um, the webs of life that wider webs depend on. A really significant one is the need to mobilise mobilize finance finance, at least 100 billion US dollars a year need to be released from last year in climate finance. And so international financial institutions and governments uh, are being, and private and public sector finance are being required 
to secure global net zero. And that sounds a lot, and some people complain about that and the financial cost of that. Um, Economists warn us that unless we release this money now, the financial cost of climate change will be significantly more in the not-too-distant future. It is better to spend that money now than to have to spend it in the future. And finally, it is to uh, find ways, better ways to work together to restore relationships, which is, well, that's what our whole season of creation has been about. It's what St. Francis was about. They need to find ways of working together so that they can finalise the Paris rulebook, the detailed rules that make the Paris Agreement operational and accelerate together countries, businesses, civil society, working together to tackle climate change collaboratively. And only when that happens will we and this planet be able to thrive. It's very biblical, really, isn't it? It's what Francis was all about. So what, we can, what can we do about all of this? Well, uh, most importantly, pray. We need to pray for that conference. We need to pray for all those who are attending that conference. We need to pray uh, for our government representatives going to that conference. Uh, and we need to pray that the outcomes will be significant. And we need to pray uh, that companies, uh, that countries and other groups who go there will honour their commitments and find new and creative and imaginative ways to address this issue for the sake of all people and for the sake of this planet. The second thing is we need to support and encourage our government in their work on climate change and hold them to account when they start to backtrack. Thirdly, if you belong to an opposition party, you need to work with our opposition parties to take this issue far more seriously than they currently are. It is alarming that we have significant opposition parties who want to debate whether climate change is even a thing. It is a thing. We have moved past that point. We now The debate should be about the best ways of, of addressing those issues. Uh, and it just is deeply disturbing that too many of our parties are just wanting to play politics and not to take this seriously at all. We have to move past that. We need to find different ways of thinking about our relationship with this world and all who live in it. And we need to live in ways that mend our broken relationships so that all people and all of creation might thrive. So to finish the season of creation and on this feast of St. Francis, I offer this video that the Third Order Society of St. Francis have uh, very re recently released uh, which addresses this issue and invites people to think creatively about this. <laughs>